And we ended up winning my daggone heat race, man. And I was like, holy shit, man. I just beat Jay Springsteen. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, it, it was something, man. I couldn't believe it. He was he was my hero, man. And to, and to finish ahead of him, you know, at, at that young of age, I was like, man, this is, this is awesome. Episode 69, Tank Slapping Podcast. Really cool show lined up for you guys. Got legend, another legend on the show, Dan Ingram. So Dan is a pretty unique guy as far as he raced in the 80s, the 90s, retired for, fuck, a long time, and then comes back in the 2000s. I want to say it was like 2010, 2011. Comes back after, it's probably 20 years almost, gets his GNC license and goes racing again at the highest level. So not many, not many riders have done that. If any, that I can think of, uh, well, Sammy sweet did something similar, I suppose. So, um, but anyway, it's, it's really cool. What, what Dan was able to accomplish in his career and then come back and be competitive at the age he was is, uh, is pretty special and, um, really, really talented all around rider, unique personality, just really cool guy to talk with and, and a friend of mine. So I'm, I'm stoked to get Dan on the show. I want to make sure we shout out our sponsors and make this show happen week in and week out. I appreciate all the fans for supporting these companies, following them on social media and just thanking them for keeping our show rolling. I want to give a shout out to bell power sports, check out bellhelmets.com to view their full line of products. I actually just got a brand new Moto 10 helmet. I'm going to uh, show off here in the next couple of days, going to do a little unveiling on my social media pages. So make sure you check out that Moto 10 helmet. And then I currently wear the race star flex on the, uh, on the flat track side of things. If you start tank slapping, you want to be protected by bell Yamaha motorsports and Yamaha racing. Check out their website at yamahamotorsports.com motorcycle, ATV side-by-side snowmobile and power products. Yamaha, big supporter of the industry. And, uh, it's the brand bike I ride. Happy to be on the Yamahas. Moto America, New Jersey Motorsports Park. Local event for me, September 10th, 11th, and 12th. Kids 12 and under are free with a paying spectator. So go check it out. Check the, check the action out live. That track is a really, really nice track, nice facility. And if you can't be there live, subscribe to their Live Plus package. Check out all the action. Junior Cup, Superbike, Supersport, Stock 1000, Twins Cup, Pittsburgh was this past weekend and my boy Ben Glotti got a win in the junior cup. So that was pretty exciting. Uh, a lot of good racing across all the classes. Moto America is doing a lot of good things. So make sure you support them. Indian motorcycle since 1901, Indian motorcycle has been the choice of riders who make their own rules. Check out a local dealership near you and go test ride a motorcycle, grab some merchandise. Indian is doing a lot of really cool things in flat track, supporting the sport at the professional and amateur level, they actually put up some money, some contingency money for my winter throwdown race last year for riders who were competing on an Indian big presence in the hooligan stuff as well. They're doing some stuff with Moto America. They really love the support. Uh, sorry. They really love the sport of racing, any kind dirt pavement and, uh, and really, really cool company and what they're doing with their line of motorcycles. Go, go test ride a bike. And, and uh, I know you won't be disappointed. Roof systems of Dallas, Texas, Jerry Stinchfield, Nearly 40 years of experience in the commercial and industrial roofing company. Big shout out to Uncle Jerry for keeping the show going. Dunlop Motorcycle Tires, the official tire of the American Flat Track Series. Check out their website, DunlopMotorcycleTires.com. Snag yourself a DT4. It's what the pros use. And uh, go kick go kick everyone's ass at the local track with the brand new DT4. And then Brandy Wine Harley-Davidson, Chad's Ford, Pennsylvania. A Tommy Hannum business, 65 years. Tommy Hannum's has been in business with Harley-Davidson, so he knows his stuff if you need a motorcycle, newer used parts and accessories, service work. Hit up Brandy Wine, Harley Davidson on Facebook and social media. Their physical address is 1214 Baltimore Pike, Chad's Ford, Pennsylvania. That's Chad's, like Chad Coast, double D, <laughs> double D on the Chad's Ford. And uh, yeah, go check them out and support Tommy Hannum. He's a big supporter of the podcast and the sport in general. But Big weekend uh, in New York, Weedsport. I know I was kind of bitching about the track a little bit just because I, I sucked there when I was there in 2018 on the 450. But the track was really, uh, it's technical, interesting racetrack. It got a couple holes on the surface that actually, 
uh, it spit a couple guys off, unfortunately. Um, Ezra Brusky and I'm trying to think of the, oh, James Ott both hit the hole and, and it's, it kind of spit them off the bike. It was a really weird deal. And then uh, in my production twin semi on the first day, it, it golfed up uh, Dalton Gautier and actually broke his ankle. So super gutted when I heard that news, man, I, um, man, I love racing Dalton. I love racing good competition and it's, I'm just super bummed to hear about Dalton. And, um, he got surgery as we record this, he got surgery today. So it's, he's going to recover and be back at some point. I don't know what they're, what they're thinking, but a left ankle with screws, something like that. You definitely with his age and want to get, want to get it taken care of. So you're, you're good long-term. Um, he's got a, lot of really good races left in him and uh hopefully he can get back on the grid but um just wish him well like across the board i'm a big dalton fan i've grew up watching him uh since he was a kid man i've really taken him under my wing a few a few times a lot of times over the years and uh love to see him do well not ahead of me (laughs) but uh yeah big dalton fan and New York was great as far as for me I, i was able to win the race on friday and felt really good on friday I actually felt better on Saturday, but, um, I fast qualified, won my semi felt really good going in the main event, got one bad start. And all I could manage was a third. And even then I, I got third in the last corner. I got around Bromley and going to the checkered to get a third. So that's a testament to how tough flat track is. I mean, it's a game of tenths of a second. If you get one bad start in a six minute race plus two laps, it's so hard to make up that time, even when you have the speed. So I um, want to give a shout out to Cameron Smith on his first win. That was, that's pretty cool. I, he's another district six kid I grew up with and watched him come up through the ranks. His mom and dad are really nice people and yeah, good for him. Like I said, it's, it's tough for me. Cause I don't want to see any of those bastards beating me, but it's uh it makes me smile under my helmet a little bit. Cause just, I feel, I feel like I've watched these kids grow up and uh, it's really cool to see them succeed, but um, for me, I just gotta, gotta get back to work and keep grinding out the season and go from there. Uh, trying to think, uh, Morgan Mitchell was a, a badass on Saturday, grabbed the win. I think I want to say Dallas Daniels won the first night and yeah, he did. He looked great all weekend. Dallas did. So shout out to him and his team. And then the, uh, super twins, Halbert, dude, what a badass! like crashes super hard on Friday didn't know what planet he was on. It seemed like just <laughs> engulfed himself in a crash comes back and wins the main, wins the main event in Sammy Halbert fashion. That's just like Sammy being Sammy. He's they're kind of bred, you know, I've had a few Washington guys on recently on the show and they're bred, they're bred a little bit differently up there in the Pacific Northwest. So uh, yeah, it was really cool for Sammy to get that win on Friday. And then uh, Jared Meese, does what Jared Meese does and he grabbed the win on Saturday as well. So overall interesting weekend in New York, happy to put that short track kind of in the rear view mirror and head to head to some more, um, spacey wide open tracks coming up here in the future, but appreciate all the fans for, for their support. And without any further ado, our guest is on the line right now. It's Dan Ingram. Dan, how are you, buddy? I'm doing good, Corey, man. I want to congratulate you on another win last weekend, buddy. Good job. Uh, thanks, man. Yeah, it's uh, you're you've we'll talk about it in a little bit, but you're a sh- you've won a, a couple short track races. So anytime you uh, can get out of there with decent points is is always a, a positive. And if you can get a win, that's almost like bonus points. I feel like on a short track. Heck yeah, the short track can be really challenging. I mean, anything can happen. A lot of close elbow rubbing races. Yeah. So what's been up with you, man? It's been, I haven't seen you in, man, it's probably been four or five years at least. So what is, what's Dan Ingram been up to? Well, um, currently I am a heavy equipment operator. Um, I run a hydro back rig, um, for a company called GLS, um, here in Indianapolis and, um, very happy to be there. Um, been in the been in the construction union for about 25 years now and married been married for 25 years um i never did have children but i'm happily married and love my dogs (laughs) (laughs) 
Love it, man. Yeah, I uh, I I often say uh, that dogs are harder to kind of kind of deal with than my kid is sometimes. So it's uh, I consider dogs four-legged children, but um, yeah, man, that's rad. I uh, I guess we'll start here in the beginning a little bit. I like to talk about the amateur amateur stuff that you've that you've experienced. Uh, you know, back then I've talked about it on the show a lot, but. There wasn't like there wasn't a, a ton of mini bikes back then. Like it, it wasn't uncommon for for people to start riding when they're 12, 13, 14, you know, almost right, where right. they just turn pro. Uh they, they don't really race much as an amateur until you 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 got a little bit older than what we're used to now. So what was that journey like for you? And um, you know, how how did you get All right. involved with it? Yeah, okay. Um I started racing a 100cc bike when I was, let's see, I think 13. And uh, then when I was 14, I moved up to a uh, 250. And when I was 15, I moved up to a 500. When I was 16, I went pro, turned novice. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's crazy. Had, you know, had, had a lot of pretty good success as an amateur, you know, state champ, this and that. And, and um, you know, my novice year I had a had a really good season and then junior and then I was a rookie expert in nineteen eighty three. And um my rookie expert year I qualified into the main event at seven nationals with my best finish being a third place at the high banked uh, Knoxville, Tennessee half mile. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I got some of those notes written down, and I was going to ask, before we get into that too far, um, I have I have here that you were a rookie in 1983, and um, that's what, what you just mentioned as well, but one of the guys, you know, I also know was a rookie, we've had him on the show here not a couple months ago, was Doug Chandler, so um, yeah. I was kind of curious, who, who were the guys you kind of raced with as novice and junior? Like, who were the guys you had to kind of beat throughout those years? Yeah, right. Um, well, as a novice, um, let's see, there was, I mean, there's Pete Hames, Matt Rosowitz, Eric Rouse, Jeff Joyner, Will Davis. I mean, there was a heck of a crop of novices. And then, I, of course, when I turned junior, we all turned junior at the same time. And um, you know, me and Will Davis and Pete Hames and Eric Roush and Matt Roswitz and Jeff Joyner, you know, we're all, you know, doing the winning and um, it's, it was tough, man. I mean, it was a tough crowd and same thing, you know, when I was a rookie expert, you know, I mean, there's a a handful of us that, that went on as, as rookies and, and, um, you know, it was tough back then, man. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's tough now also, you know, as a matter of fact, I know it is because I raced you guys a few years ago, <laughs> but, but <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, but, those, the, the names you just mentioned, that's, uh, those are some solid dudes. Like that's, that's, that's no joke. I mean, um, obviously a lot of those guys are, went on to have hall of fame careers. And then you mentioned guys like Pete and then, uh, Eric Roush, who, I know really well being here in Pennsylvania. I still see him at a lot of the races. I heard them. Right. Boys could, I heard they could get it. They were quick. So, um, but anyway, you, you talked about Knoxville. You finished on the podium your rookie year uh, with uh, Jay Springsteen and Randy Goss. So uh, I, I want to say in 83, were they both factory Harley at that time? You were the yes. private. Okay. So yeah. privateer yeah. on the podium with two factory Harley guys um really good rookie season for you what was that transition like dude like um like I, obviously i hear the stories there was 300 novices and 1 million juniors back then and, right and then right, you, right, then right. you move up to expert and you're racing racing guys you probably idolized a little bit um how did you get there mentally to go out and beat them guys exactly man i mean it's tough i mean when you turn expert they take the restrictors out of them junior bikes and you're like holy crap this thing is fast <laughs> and um you know and then you get out there you know with these guys in these grand national races you know racing your your heroes you know that that you idolize your whole life and and um you know it's it's pretty pretty intimidating um until you until you 
until you beat them once. <laughs> then you get yeah. some confidence, you know, you get some confidence and, and, um, it's, it's really very, very rewarding, man. To, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm an 18 year old rookie expert and went down to Knoxville, Tennessee and on my, in my heat race, I had Jay Springsteen among others in my heat race. And I jumped the freaking starting line and got put on the penalty line in my heat race. And I'm like, oh, no. And we ended up winning my daggone heat race, man. And I was like, holy shit, man. I just beat Jay Springsteen. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it, it was something, man. I couldn't believe it. He was he was my hero, man. And to, and to finish ahead of him, you know, at, at that young of age, I was like, man, this is, this is awesome. Well, did you always grow up in Indiana or where, where are you from? Like, like that time in your life? Yeah, I've always been in, in okay. Indianapolis area native. Um, you know, my dad had a small motorcycle repair shop here in Claremont, Indiana, you know, as, as a kid growing up and, and I, you know, always, always wanted to be a, a flat track motorcycle racer, man. I practiced every day, you know, had a, little short track out in the backfield behind dad's shop. And I, I'd go out there every day practicing and, and just, you know, I, I wanted to be the next national champion, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, um, I, I'm looking at the dates here from when you were kind of just getting started and a lot of guys in that era, they, they said um, that like on any Sunday was a big influence for them. And I don't know if you, if you were the same, like, was that, like was that a big influence on you during that during your amateur days like um like just kind of i'm i'm super intrigued by that movie now now the, the more i learn about it and i just like to ask people um how they right. were influenced by it. i i was very influenced by it i mean to to see it on the big screen you know the flat track motor motorcycle racers can can actually be famous if you will you know um and you know, Mert Lawwell was star of that show, and and then man, and I mean, we, you might want to get into this later, but in 1990, I, I started riding for Mert, and I thought that was was pretty cool, man. I got to go out and and stay at his house there in San Francisco area, and riding for Mert Lawwell, man. I thought that was really cool. <laughs> that is really cool. That's something a lot of guys can't say they've, uh, they've done, but, um, well, you talked about your rookie year. Did you win rookie of the year in 93 or 83? I was actually leading it. And then Honda came along and gave Doug Chandler some factory equipment and he beat me. He ended up winning. Uh, okay. He won the Santa Fe short track as a rookie on the, on a factory Honda. And okay. Okay. You know, so yeah. he, he won. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, I've, we've had, I'm trying to think who we had on this show. Oh, we had, uh, I want to, maybe it was Mickey Fay. We had somebody on the show recently. They did, they did one event and they got sixth and they won rookie of the year. Um, I'm trying to think who the hell, who the hell just was. Anyway, wow, I, don't, I don't know. I'm trying, uh, maybe it was, maybe it was spring. Oh, it was Atherton. Sorry. It was Kevin Atherton. He went out, he won the junior title and then he went out and did one race at Ascot finished sixth. And it was good enough points wise to win rookie of the year. And then here you are, <laughs> you get on the podium, you make, you know, seven finals, I think he said, and you miss right. out on rookie of the year to somebody else. So it's all relevant really to who, who you're racing with and, and things like that. But, um, but you know your rookie season, it was really good. Obviously, I mean, I don't think people realize how hard it is to to make that many main events as a rookie, um, and then to get on the podium. There's probably only a small handful of guys that have done that. Um, and then, what was that transition like the next few years? Because I think you had a couple off years, right? Like, what was that learning curve like after your rookie season? I mean, I know it's tough with getting good bikes to ride and that's half, half the damn battle. It seems like. Right. Well, you know, after, after my rookie season, I thought, man, you know, what, a what a thing I got going here. I can't wait till next year, you know, and, and the next, you know, three or four years, man, I just kind of 
I mean, I made some nationals and I, I won some regionals, you know, and I, I had a pretty decent, you know, few years there, but nothing really spectacular, you know, and, and uh, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't back up my rookie season like I was thought I would, you know, and I couldn't quite figure out what, I mean, I, I just wanted to get on a, a faster bike, man. I mean, I, I just had a hard time getting a bike that I thought was fast enough. I thought, man, I, I know I can, or I think I can beat these guys, man. If I just get on a, a fast enough bike and I just struggled and struggled and I'd ride my butt off, man. And, and, you know, and just, <laughs> I, I wasn't winning. And, uh, you know, on the national, on the national level. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So what, what I know, I know you won. So I'm going to kind of fast track it a little bit, but I know you won your first national in 1988. I'll talk about that in a little bit, but, um, what changed for you? Like, obviously you had some really good seasons there, the late eighties, early nineties. And what was, uh, what adjustments did you have to make? Was it just the motorcycle? Did you have to adjust the way you trained, the way you I mean, I know training was kind of different back then, but, um, what, you know, what, what, what what were the adjustments you got, you made to kind of get where you needed to be? Well, in 1987, I started riding for Eddie Atkins and he had some really good Harleys and I started doing pretty good uh, on them and, um, you know, podiums at nationals and, you know, at Parkersburg, I won my heat race. I'm leading the camel challenge and the transmission broke on it, you know, but I was, I was doing really good on Eddie's Harley. And then I got a phone call from Bubba Schobert, like the next day after Parkersburg. And he said, you want to ride my Honda? And this guy, you know, is national number one Honda factory racer. And I was like, well, you know, what do you, what do you mean? He said, well, I've got a, a personal bike, you know, not, you know, it's, it's just like his factory Hondas, but he owns it. It's his personal bike. And I said, well, you know, I'm riding for Eddie, you know, are you talking just, he asked me if I wanted to ride it next week at DeCoin. And I said, well, you know, are you talking just one race or what? He said, no, the rest of the season. I'm like, yes. <laughs> Heck yes. And, you know, I, I, I called Eddie. He's a friend and a friend of my dad's that, you know, and I told him, you know, I'm sorry. I, I can't pass this up. You know, this is right. I, I just can't pass it up, you know, so. Knowing Eddie, I'm sure he wasn't uh, super stoked on that. <laughs> no, <laughs> no it was, I don't want to say bad blood, but I mean, and Eddie and I are friends today, and um, yeah, yeah, you know, but there's just some hard feelings for a while. No, I understand yeah. that. It's a, it's an a, emotional uh, sport, man. It's uh, we put a lot into it, so I, I get that. But then, yeah. Um, so you went on and you won. So let's go to Syracuse. You won Syracuse. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's kind of funny. I, I read about it. It's, uh, you didn't know you won until you read about it in cycle news. So talk right. about, talk about that. That's kind of wild how technology was or that their lack of back then. Right. Yeah. The first time I rode Bubba's Honda DeCoin, I finished fourth in the national on it. And then the next week, we went to Hamburg, New York for a half mile. I finished third. And then the next week, we went to Springfield Mile, and I finished second. And then Syracuse was the next week, and we went to the Syracuse Mile and um, was going really good. Won my heat race, and in the national, I got the whole shot and led the first 10 laps. And then Bubba and Parker drafted by me and Parker Parker's bike blew up right at the, at that moment. So I had Bubba in front of me. I was running second 
and I, I hung with him, you know, but he started easing away from me just a little bit each lap, you know, but I finished a solid second in the Syracuse mile. And after the race in post-race, you know, you know, inspections, they weigh every motorcycle and the bike cannot be less than 320 pounds. And Bubba's bike was 318 and a half. And they disqualified him. But you were already gone. Like you, you left the track. You didn't know, like nobody knew really like. Nobody knew. I mean, I mean, he celebrated victory. You know, we, we had the podium deal and, and, um, you know, but after, after the race, we loaded up and left. And I got the cycle news the next week, and it said Dan Ingram wins first ever national at Syracuse Mile. You know, and then I get a call from yeah, I got a call from the AMA, and they said, you know, we we have um, changed the decision, and you are being awarded the vic the win, and we're going to make up the purse money and lap money and. And so, I mean, you know, I, I never wanted my first national win to be handed to me, you know, if right, that's right. the right word, you know, but, but yeah. Hey man, I mean, you take a look at any, any sport, you know, like, like professional football. I mean, if, if the guy steps over the line, you know, it might only be an inch, but he's out of there, you know, right. Right. It's just a set of, a set of guidelines that, that we have to follow that says your motorcycle has to weigh at least 320 pounds, no less. Right. And yeah. He, I mean, it's, he was on, it's gotta be black yeah. and white too. I mean, a pound and a half, it doesn't make a difference, but it's, it's, it's gotta be, you know I mean? Cause if you start saying, Oh, well, he's only a pound and a half under, then it's like, well, you know, then guys are gonna be like, well, I was only two pounds under or three pounds. Right. So, um, exactly. No, I mean, dude, it's, I mean, taking any way you can get it, you know, but I'm sure the emotions were, weren't the same as when you actually, you know what I mean? Like it was just a different, right. probably a different feeling there, but, uh, but shit, you won the, you won the race. So that's, that's awesome. Um, I wanted to ask you actually, I don't know if I've ever asked anybody on the show, but what was the biggest difference or maybe a couple of differences from riding like a really good Harley, like Eddie Atkins to the S the RS seven fifty because the Honda is such an iconic motorcycle. It kind of came and went like the Harley was around for so long. Um, everyone, you know, I wouldn't say they got tired of seeing it, but it, it became old news and the Honda was, it came in, it kicked everyone's ass. And then it just, it just, they just stopped running them um right so what what were your thoughts as far as the way they handled the power curve um maybe the frames that they were in like what was that what was the biggest differences between the two well after being on eddie's harley which is one of the best in the country and then getting on bubba's honda i mean i i just felt like that honda was made for me man i mean i could i could get it on on that thing it was it was faster than any bike i've ever ridden and it handled like a dream. I mean, it, it would want to it would want to spin the tire coming off the corners on you know even on the mile tracks you know and you got to I'd have to power brake it you know to hook it up coming off the corners. But man, them things I I loved riding them. They were they were a joy to ride. Yeah, obviously the success is has been there. Obviously they've they've won a lot of races and championships. So. Um, so yeah, so you, 1988 and then 89, you went back to riding a Harley. I think you, uh, I know at some point you were teammates with Moorhead. Um, and then, yeah, that was, that was 89. Yeah. The next year. Okay. So 89 was your best year ever. You finished third in the standings and, um, what was your team like that year? And how was, uh, how was being uh, teammates with Moorhead? Yeah. In 1989. Um, Skip Eakin bought actually Bubba went road racing so all of Bubba's factory Honda equipment was doing nothing and so Skip Eakin 
acquired those bikes. I don't, that's all I know. Um, I think Honda just let Skip use them or something. I, I don't know right. exactly how. But anyway, Mike, Mike Sponsello put up some money to have me and Steve Moorhead be teammates riding for Skip on Bubba's X Factory Hondas. Wow. 1989. Yeah. And I was pretty jazzed to be a teammate to Steve Moorhead. He's always, you know, been one of my idols also. Um, and had a, had a good year in 89, man. I qualified for every national that year. I think there was 18 and I finished in the top 10 in every main event that year. Um, I did not get a win that year whereas Steve Moorhead did at the Louisville half mile but I was a little more consistent and ended up uh, third in the point standings and Moorhead ended up fourth that year what was your uh you mentioned uh Parker and Carr they uh, or maybe maybe you didn't mention it maybe it's just in my notes but Parker won that title and Carr was second and obviously uh, a lot of your really good years were during the Parker and Carr era, and those were two guys you had to beat. Um, right. What were your What were your relationship like with those guys, and how how can you describe like the talent level that Scott Parker and Chris Carr kind of brought every weekend? Well, I'll tell you what, man they they were the guys to beat, and they was tough to beat. They had, I mean, they really had their stuff together, and that was that was your goal i mean to beat those guys which i mean i they beat me a lot more than i beat them <laughs> but i did i did beat them once in a while you know and that was good enough for you know third in the points that year but you know i i never had any bad words with either one of them um you know i knew i knew parker a little better than i did chris just merely because of all the ice racing that I used to do and go up to Michigan, you know, right there in his neck of the woods. And, um, right. I, I just, I was, you know, a little closer to Scott than I was Chris. Yeah. I would think, uh, Indianapolis North is almost essentially, it's not, I mean, it's, it's kind of Michigan kind of, <laughs> I don't know if you want to claim yeah. that, but, but I mean, um, like Atherton, he's white pigeon, and that's like a stone throw away from Indiana. So, um, right. No, but anyway, so like you mentioned, you mentioned those two. Did were there any guy, any any rivals you had in the pro days? I mean, I like I like to bring it up. It's interesting now. And um, like, who were the guys you hated to lose against? Like, did you have any particular rider that you kind of rivaled with back back in the day? Um, yeah, my teammate that year, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't care who I beat as long as it was him. <laughs> well, I um, get that too. But, you know, I, I never really had any, any rivals or, you know, anybody that I didn't, didn't really, you know, get along with. I mean, me and Steve Eklund had bad words one time. He was, he got pretty mad at me because I, I um, stuffed him at Sacramento and took us both off the groove, and he wanted to, he wanted to whip me when we got back in the, <laughs> got back in the pits. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, shit happens. You know, I mean, it's it's no big deal. Racing's racing. I mean, sometimes you bump, you know, and the guy who gets bumped is sore, you know, and pissed, yeah. you know. But it it's a two way street, you know, just. When, if you do it to somebody, you, you know, you better be ready for it to come back at you, you know? Well, it just seems like uh, there were more rivals and tempers in the early 80s than there were in the early 90s. It seems like the 90s, everybody had that go-with-the-flow vibe, sort of. Um, you know, in the 80s, it was really blue-collar dudes that they weren't afraid to punch each other in the face. And then the the 90s, everybody kind of got along real well, went golfing together, uh, went to the bars afterward and, and, and stuff like that. Because when I have the guys from the 80s on, 
you know, it's, uh, you know, oh, fuck Gary Scott or, you know, just different, yeah. different people in the nineties, everybody's like, nah, we were, you know, I'm, I'm digging for, for dirt. And I just can't, everybody's like, no, you know, it was, it was cool, you know, whatever. So, um, I just, I think that's, that's kind of cool in a way that even though y'all were trying to take each other's lunch money every weekend, you're able to kind of, you know, be cool with each other off the track. Right. I mean, a lot of, I was friends with, with a lot of the guys. I was, um, pretty good friends with, with Rodney Ferris and, um, my buddy Tim Hampton used to be national number 34. Um, I was pretty good friends with him. As a matter of fact, me and Tim and Rodney used to rent a house out in California for a couple months every year. And we'd, we'd stay together and, you know, for the West coast swing, you know, which was Sacramento, Ascot and uh, San Jose, but they would, we'd stay out there for almost two months together, you know, and you can, yeah kind of imagine what was going on there <laughs> <laughs> yeah I know a little my bit dad, of partying and good times <laughs> i know my pops hung out with rodney quite a bit and uh, i was really young when rodney was around i don't i don't remember him super well but he's he's a legend here um i'm in pennsylvania but i'm i'm pretty close to maryland and i see all the maryland people and uh rodney right. certainly his, his legacy definitely lives on which is which is really cool to see um but uh well, yeah, so kind of wanted to ask you too, um, before we move on to kind of retiring and, and coming back um, when you did, but you won Daytona Short Track in 1990 and 1993. So essentially, um, you know, a little spoiler, you won three nationals in your career, but Daytona Short Track in 1990 was kind of your first win, maybe? I don't know yeah. how you feel, but like you got to experience that feeling of getting to the checkered flag first so um and obviously winning daytona is is pretty awesome um you know it's one of the ones you, that you would love everyone wants to win daytona and you did it twice so um what was that feeling like it was relief you know so finally i mean after being a rookie in 83 that's seven years before i actually got to carry the checkered flag and it was such a feeling of relief, you know, and it was, it was even more special cause my dad was there with me, you know, and, and, um, I, I, I won it on Skip Aiken 600 Honda in a field of row taxes. And, oh, wow. um, yeah, it was, I was like the only Honda in, in the field and we won it. And it was, it was, very, very, very cool. Hey, you know, you mentioned your dad a minute ago, man. I wanted to say one thing. I rode in 1983 when I was a rookie. I went up to the Syracuse Mile, and I didn't have anything to ride. And I went down to your dad's pits, and I said, hey, Randy, I said, would you let me ride your spare? He's like, yeah, okay. And I got on that thing, and man, was it fast. I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> and I, I've freaking qualified fourth fastest on that bike and in my heat race i had ricky graham and and i was running second to ricky in my heat race and when i came down the straightaway and seen the white flag man there's one lap left to go and i had second sewed up there wasn't nobody behind me close and i sat up at the end of the front straightaway going into turn one and the zipper broke on the front of my leathers and them suckers opened up like a parachute man almost drugged me off the back of that bike i was like oh my gosh so i poked around the last lap trying to hold my leathers together and i ended up finishing way back I, but man your dad's bike was fast and i had the national made on it man <laughs> that's badass i think he was I want to say, I don't know, man, I, I never had, I'm kind of sucks now, but I never had these kind of chats with my dad about his career. Um, yeah. so I don't know. I think he was a rookie in 82 maybe. Um, but I'm not certain I'd have to look up some info, but, uh, but yeah, he was, he was uh, always willing to let people ride his shit. I know like I, he, my rookie year, he built me two brand new Harleys and somebody, somebody's bike broke when I was a rookie. 
and they were at riders meeting and my dad offered up the bike to to the other guy i'm like whoa wait a minute dude like what if (laughs) what if we need that like he's giving away bikes and i'm like uh we might need that dad like so yeah he was he was always willing to help people out so that doesn't surprise me at all that's pretty awesome Um, yeah i raced i raced a lot i've known your dad for a long time man and that was a shame you know that his his life ended so early but but it was a pleasure knowing him you know yeah, I posted that. Well, when did I post it? But that photo I sent you from Middletown, New York, that was that was his all-time favorite racetrack. He always talked about Middletown. And uh, and Dave Honig sent me that, and I was like, oh, shit, there's Ingram. And uh, it looked like East Step. And actually, yeah, by, yeah. In, in behind East Step, it looks like Chris Carr, like in casual. Yeah. Like he's yeah, just like not right. I don't know. So I don't know if he was a, not a, a expert. Yeah, I don't know. It was crazy. He was there helping helping East Step. They was both kind of riding for Ron Wood, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought that was uh, – it's cool when I can see 11 – you know, my dad, he'll it'll be 11 years here, and uh, it looks like 12 days – like 12 days, end of August is when he passed away in 2010. And it's really cool when I, like, come across photos that I've never seen before, and, and uh, Dave right. sent me those, and I thought that was badass. I like ones where he has his helmet off and shit. That's really cool, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, so you retired, yet you had an injury, you retired in 1993. Um, and then I guess we could talk about that a little bit if you'd like. I, yeah, you had a, a really big gap. Um, fuck, it was 20 years until you came back. But um, I don't know if right. you want to talk about anything there or what. But yeah, yeah I mean, you, you, ret- you had an injury, you retired in 1993. And then what, what kept you busy? Well, in, in 1993 at the Springfield Mile, I'd I got off pretty hard and bounced off the wall and split my head open and broke my neck and my brain was hemorrhaging in two places and I was in a coma for two weeks and about, about, about killed me. And so I had, I had to retire, you know, right. I had to. And so I was like, you know, I'm 28 years old. I'm like, man, racing's over. Now, what am I going to do? you know, with my life. Right. So I, I took a job framing houses for $8 an hour, you know, and, and then just worked up from there and got in the construction union and, and, um, you know, just focused on, on making a life out of construction work. And it's been a, a profitable deal. I mean, um, <clears throat> So, um, you know, just focused on, on working and trying to, re- you know, get realize that motorcycle racing is no longer a part of my life, you know, and I'm, I'm done with it. So I never even had a street bike or even rode a motorcycle. I just wanted to forget that part, you know, that area. And I stayed completely away from it. I never went to no races. I never followed it just stayed away from it and that's crazy yeah i mean yeah yeah so so i guess we get fast track 19 years or whatever but um 18 years or whatever you you came back and uh man was it 2011 mm-hmm. maybe you started riding the 450 i don't know talk about what the hell made you after you know getting away from it what gave you that what did you see or do that made you want to go after it again that's it's an incredible story actually i've i never lost the the love you know i just was trying to come to grips with the fact that i could never do it again but i always wanted to you know i never lost that and i i go out to my friend jim turchilla used to run mid-america speedway here in indy and i used to go out there once in a while and you know they're in the 2009 10 area and watch the races and and one night you know jim said hey man why don't you you want to take my bike out for practice i was like shit man yeah but um i don't even know if my leathers still fit (laughs) but anyway i i put my leathers on and took jim's bike out for a practice one time and was you know, just 
hauling ass on the thing. And I thought, man, I can still do this. And so I, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm 48 years old. <clears throat> I thought, man, if I don't give this another shot, I'll never, I'll never know if I, if I can do it again or not. <clears throat> and I'll always wonder, you know, so I just, I called the AMA. I talked to Tom Cummings and he had some Harleys of Nick's up there. And, um, he said that, that he would be interested in letting me write them. So I called the AMA and, and I said, I, I want to ride the Springfield mile and, or the Indy mile. And they're like, no way, dude, you've been gone too long. No way. Said, there ain't no way we're giving you an expert license. Said, if you want to race again, you start over in the singles class and you earn a hundred points, then you can move up to expert. And I'm like, you know, I, that, that's more racing than I wanted to do. I didn't want to do all that. You know, I just wanted to, to get back on a, a couple mile tracks and, and let her rip, you know, but they made me start over. And so I did. You know, I, I did. In 2011, I rode that 450 class and had my points pretty quick. And so I moved up in 2012 to expert. And, um, my first national back was the Springfield mile and I qualified into the main event and ended up, I think 10th or 11th, something like that, you know, but anyway, you know, I'm, I was back, man. So that gave me my national number back for the next year. I was like, now I got, yeah, that's crazy. Well, I mean, I think you, you kind of skipped right over the fact that when you came back and you had to ride a 450, all we're all riding DTX bikes now, where back in the day, y'all were riding Rotex and Honda Framers 600s and fuck, who knows, right. XR 500s, whatever. So um, you had to essentially learn how to ride a, a motocross bike on dirt. Um, what were your thoughts? What were your thoughts on that? When you, when you rode the, like the stock chassis yeah. flat track bikes? Yeah, it was, it was very different from what I was used to. I wasn't used to having the back end of the motorcycle so high up in the air. You know, you know, back in my day, you know, we used to squat, have them squatting, you know, and I mean, these even nowadays, I mean, all the swing arm angle and everything, guys are running. Man, we never had none of that stuff back then. You know, we that's just not something that we've done. And it was very different getting on a, a 450, you know, and riding that motocross suspension and, and trying to learn how to, to make it, to make it work. It's, it's very different. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was, I was a young, well, when you came back in 2011 and 12, that was sort of, I wasn't really racing a heck of a lot because, uh, just didn't have the resources to race. Shana was racing a lot, but I was kind of spectating and, I would do a couple of races when I could, but, um, but yeah, you had some, obviously some really good results at 48, 49 years old. And then, uh, what was that? Like, what was the grind like at 48, 49 years old to find the resources to put together a program? What was, what was that challenge like for, I mean, yeah, cool. You can ride your fast, but fuck now you need all this money to go racing um what what was that like well it was challenging um i mean i was i'd never worked so hard in my life i mean my whole career i never worked and trained so hard at trying to to make this work you know i mean i was i was working out i was also working full time but I was training and running and working out harder than I ever had in my life, man. And I, and it, no matter what I'd done, it wasn't enough, you know, because I mean, doing running them 25 lap miles when you're 20, as opposed to when you're 50, 
is a lot easier. <laughs> I mean, man, my tongue would be hanging out after the nationals when I was 50. I was like, geez, I mean, all the working out in the world wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't enough for me. Yeah. I think it's a big misconception. Like you see it a lot. Guys are, guys are always talking about um, just how talented the riders were in the eighties and the nineties. And, and I grew up in the sport. I'm a big fan of, you know, y'all were my heroes growing up in the eighties and nineties and the talent level and more so the depth of riders. There were so many guys who could win, but I think a big misconception is how good the top guys are now. Like there's not a lot of uh, guys these days, but the guys that are winning, like the Jared Mises and the Kenny Coolbass and the Briar Bauman's and even the guys that are finishing 10th, um, the level of fitness and cross training and motocross and everything the guys are doing with um, it's just, it's just a lot. It's a lot different now. And it's cool for you because you've raced in, you know, a lot of different errors and you've come back and you've raced the guys that are out there now. Um, what would you say to somebody that um, that's trying to pick what error was better? Um, Cause you've done a few, few different errors. I mean, you can't, everybody wants to say that their era is the best, but um, I would, I, I, I can't really say one. I, I will say that back in the, 80s there was a hell of a lot more riders i oh, mean yeah. it was i mean i mean it was tough I, i'll say this today it is hard very very difficult to win a grand national race um i i don't think that it is as difficult to to make the nationals but it's still hard as hell to win no you just you just write a check now dan you don't have to qualify you just you just write a check <laughs> and you're in the final <laughs> yeah man that's crazy <laughs> i know what you're saying though i mean back then yeah i mean everybody in the main event was phenomenal and there was national champions watching from the truck um i've always said now like with my era it's um you don't luck into a podium at the top level um but you can lock into top tens you know what i mean it's not we're back back yeah, exactly. in the day if, if you got a top 10 that was a fucking good day for a lot of guys um yeah. but now it's now it's like um like if briar or jared if they finish fourth it's like a really bad day for them where like if car yeah. or parker had an off day and finished fourth it wasn't that bad like an off day for them would be like a ninth or a tenth um right so right. in some ways it was it was you know harder back then but nowadays like i think the pressure on like some of the guys at the top if we're not finishing on the podium we've had a bad day and that's just crazy right, well, what's what's wrong what happened you know <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's just um no nah, but every er like every every error is is difficult and um it's just times have changed like the training and everything one guy does it then two more do it the next year and you know now look at the motocross stuff i mean everybody like they're freaking training at facilities all year long when they're five years old and i don't know it just gets crazy but um the passion of the of the sport in the 80s and the 90s is something that um i don't see right now it's not you know not duplicated because i grew up in that time and it was uh it was an amazing time to be in the sport and uh, as a rider now racing some of these riders um the talent level is there they're so talented but there's just not a lot of riders so that's that's kind of a bummer but um but anyway we could probably talk about that for hours but i wanted to mention uh we'll kind of ask you like growing up you mentioned a few of the guys you looked up to you looked up to moorhead and you looked up to springsteen I read that you were a big Rex Beauchamp fan. Um, why is that? And where did you, um, you know, yeah, like wh why was Rex your guy? Right, right. We used to live on a, a big farm and we had a, a great big barn that had a concrete floor in it. And my dad made an indoor short track in this barn where he used to practice. My dad was a good indoor short track guy. And before the Indy Mile, every year, Tom Cummings, Rex Beauchamp, Jay, 
Gary Nixon, Rick Hawking, all these guys would come stay at our place, our, our farmhouse, and they would unload their bikes and get them in the barn there and, and race, you know, drink and race and party. And, and um, Rex was a factory Harley rider at the time. And I remember Rex would come over in his motor home, pulling a van behind it and with full of factory Harleys and him and my dad were, were really good friends and and Rex was just always my hero and that's why I wanted number 31 because of him. Yeah, I mean, for those that don't know Rex Bochamp, um, we have a lot of younger people and road racers that listen to this show. Go on and just Google Rex Bochamp. Some of the coolest flat track photos I've ever seen, like crossed up on the throttle, are, uh, are Rex Bochamp. Um, just, I don't know a heck of a lot about him either just because it was before my my era, but obviously I, I, I like to... I like to look up a lot of info from, uh, from the early days and the dude, dude has some really cool photos and uh, really accomplished, really accomplished racer. I thought that was cool that you, uh, that you were a Rex Bochamp guy. Yeah, he was, it was great to know him and his wife, Audrey, and they, you know, come to our house and hang out and I'd play foosball with him. And, you know, he was just a, a cool guy, man. Yeah, that's badass. Um, well, a couple more questions. I'll let you let you go. I know you got shit to do, but um, you're racing cars now, man. I, I follow you on Facebook, and not only are you racing cars, but you're you're winning races. Uh, talk about <laughs> your, your racing right now and where people can come watch you. I mean, race race cars. Talk about that. Yeah. Okay. Um. Uh, a guy. A guy let me drive the sprint car here a few years ago, and um. I really, really liked it. I thought, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna find one of these things and and buy my own. So I, I found a, a sprint car up in Michigan, and I went up there and bought it. And I've been running it um, in the American Vintage Sprint Car Association series, um, and having having a good time, man. And as a matter of fact, um, we're we're having a race this Friday, August 20th in Indianapolis at the new circle city raceway Friday. And, um, if you got a minute, I'd like to thank a couple of my sponsors here. Um, yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Yeah. First off, um, Tim Hampton used to be national number 34. He owns a company called service pro cleaning services. They do, major large cleaning operations like say there's a chemical spill at ford motor company service pro comes in and cleans it up that's my main sponsor um and now gls hydro excavation you got granville singh john damron charlie and all the guys that work there they are helping me also and they're my employer i mean GLS is the finest hydrovac company in Indiana. And also I got the generator whisperer who's Fran Brown used to be national number 50. He's helping out and the Carruthers family, Bill and Marsha Carruthers um, and their daughter, Savannah and Shane and their daughter, Willa. They help out a lot and rocket red racing. You got great Getsford helping out with Gemini Realty and septic drainer. And Jim Tertilla is now my crew chief and travel partner on the sprint car. And I'm um, glad to have him and his help. He's, he's a huge help. And um, my buddy, Dan Laxon. Love it, man. Yeah. A lot of those guys I, I know, and it's cool that the motorcycle guys are supporting you in the car journey. And I don't know if you know much, but uh, I mean, much about like my background too, but my grandpa actually is in the sprint car hall of fame in Knoxville, Iowa. So um, oh wow that's cool i yeah, did not know that yep glenn Fitzcharles, my my mom's dad is a he's a really accomplished sprint car racer so if you get to a race sometime um i'd love to introduce you to him he's i think you guys would get would get along pretty well he's a pretty awesome guy and uh wow a lot of a lot of, lot of sprint car knowledge so um yeah i thought that was cool when i saw you racing but 
have to cool have to link you guys up are you gonna try and come to any races like it's been a while since since we've seen you It'd be cool to have you have you at a race sometime right i'd i'd like to um you know i can't really can't really say i'm you know working 60 hours a week you know full time and and we're racing sprint cars you know on on the weekends and as a matter of fact you know like i said the next one's friday so i'm taking friday off and uh GLS is really cool about giving me time off to do that because they, you know, they enjoy car racing and, and getting to be a part of it and everything, you know, so fortunate to be, to be employed by GLS. Yeah, without a doubt. That's cool. You got a, a really good job that supports what you're doing. Do you, uh, one more question I got kind of got for you. Do you, do you watch the races now? And, um, what, what, what parts of the sport are you enjoying right now? Are there any riders that you kind of, you kind of that maybe remind you of a young of a young you um if that makes sense but what you know what's your um like story now with like with flat track like do, do you keep in touch with it i i follow it a little bit not not real real close um i i enjoy you know watching it when i when i can um but you know i'm just so busy with with my own thing you know it's i just don't don't get to much many races that any, anymore i'm a, you know okay. i usually go to lima or springfield you know but and now they've done away with the indy mile you know that was always an easy one for me but yeah i don't know i, I keep up when i can you know <laughs> ah well <laughs> Well, if we if we get out of your way again, I'll, uh, I'll I'll definitely hit you up and try and get you some uh, some tickets to come because it'd be it'd be cool to see you, man. And I'll, I'll definitely keep in touch with you on uh, on the uh, social media and stuff. And uh, looking forward to seeing how your uh, sprint car racing goes. But appreciate you for coming on the show. And a lot of people have asked to have you on, man. So you still got a lot of fans, and definitely cool chatting with you and, and learning more about your career. Well, thank you, Corey. Thanks for having me on, man. I'm proud of you and what you're doing, you know, after, after knowing your dad, as long as I have, you know, and then seeing what you and Shane are doing, it's, it's pretty impressive, you know, and I'm, I'm glad to be on the show and just want to say, Hey, to all the, the fans out there, you know, and, you know, I appreciate your support over the years and, and, um, it means a lot to me. Appreciate you, Dan. Thanks a lot. It means a lot to me personally. And uh, we'll catch up with you soon, buddy. Take care and uh, good All luck right. at your races. Thanks very much, man. I'll be talking to you. All right. See you later. All right. Bye. Dan Ingram, guys. Wow, that was badass. That guy's got a lot of insight, a lot of cool things he's done in his career. And it's really cool to chat with him. It's, uh, like I said many times in this show, growing up watching these guys and then getting to kind of be friends with them later on as I got older, it's uh, pretty rad. So definitely appreciate him coming on the show, taking some time to chat it up. We got Peoria TT this weekend. Um, just excited to get back to racing right away. I like to just keep going, man. I don't like to sit around. So Peoria obviously is um, not my favorite track. I've only ridden there twice. Um, and the last time I rode there was probably five years ago. And I only did like two laps and the track was kind of a shithole. So I parked it. And then I, I think the time before that I rode there was like probably 2008. So I don't have nearly the amount of laps on that track. Like many of the other guys do, but I'm actually pretty excited about it. I, um, been doing a lot of moto and a lot of training and, um, just getting ready for whatever racetracks on the schedule. So I'm just kind of excited just to go there and ride and, try and make it fun, have fun with it. So that's, uh, something I'm excited about. And it's an iconic racetrack that, um, that, um, that like anytime you get to ride on a track that iconic, it's just cool to kind of soak in the sights and the sounds. And, and I have a really good bike, you know, the G and G Yamaha is stout, really good bike that my team puts together and it should be a lot of fun to ride. So it'd be cool. The fans of Peoria are awesome. Um, really unique facility. It's, um, for those that haven't been there, you basically drive down a hill and the track is like in like a, I don't even know. It's, it's just like in a hole <laughs> and, uh, all the fans watch on the hillside, like down, downward onto the track. Uh, it's a really old school vibe and yeah, it's just uh really cool, man. It's, uh, it's going to be exciting. Definitely 
definitely excited for that. And then we have a week off and then we go out to Springfield doubleheader. And then we have a doubleheader the following weekend at Sacramento. And I think we have one week off in Charlotte and then the season's over. So it, it kind of came, waited, came, waited. And now it's like all the races in a row and then we're done. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it'll be exciting. Appreciate as always the fans for subscribing, liking our shows, sharing everything, um, the sponsors that support it, everybody that leaves reviews on iTunes. That's definitely appreciated as well. Um, want to make sure real quick again we shout out these sponsors to make it happen bell power sports check out bellhelmets.com yamaha motorsports and yamaha racing moto america new jersey motorsports park september 10th to the 12th make sure you check that out subscribe to their live plus package buy tickets any motorcycle since 1901 any motorcycle has been the choice of riders who make their own rules um, really really cool brand and it's cool how much they're involved with the sport so big shout out to any motorcycle Jerry Stinchfield, Roof Systems of Dallas, Texas, CommercialRoofSystems.net, Dunlop Tires, the official tire of the American Flat Track Series, Brandywine Harley-Davidson, Chad's Ford, Pennsylvania. Check them out on Facebook and social media. Without all these sponsors, this show wouldn't be possible. So it's uh, it's really cool when you guys support, support the um, sponsors that support our show and support the sport. I also want to give a shout out. We have a couple of races coming up that we want to support RTR motorplex, mad dog madness and Mon. Uh, sorry, at the Monroe County fairgrounds in Bloomington, Indiana, August 28th. Um, so if you're anywhere near Bloomington, Indiana, you want to see some really cool racing, check that out. RTRmotorplex.com, And then the Western Ohio motorsports, um, they're racing once again at Greenville, Ohio, at the dark County fairgrounds, August 27th. So August 27th, Greenville, August 28th, Bloomington, Indiana. If you have any questions about those events, hit me up and I'll get you the info or check it out on social media. That's a wrap on this, man. Uh, yeah. Put this, uh, put a bow on it and we'll, we'll catch you guys next week. We out. <laughs>